Coming to you live from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea, Ohio. This is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. Hey, let's do a live on a Friday edition of Cleveland Browns Daily. Merely Bo and the great Gibbe here. Z playing golf. A nice little, nice little day for him as we wrap up it, the summer. It, and is he, he playing golf or where? Yeah, Chicago. Well, but oh, he's in the it rain. is in Chicago. But he's in the rain. I mean, it's this isn't ideal. The circumstances are not ideal. I've heard from him this morning. It's a downpour in Chicago. They're trying to find a window to play. Um, so he, you know, I don't know. I said it's funny because it's really picture perfect here today if you would have wanted to. Spectacular if you wanted to play here today. Yeah, it's everything what, you want. So what exactly what so he was there is it a charity outing or No, no, no. Thing? I think it's I think it's a buddy like a kind of like last last chance to get together type thing. I think he's doing that. Um is the way that it was kind of presented that like he was doing that. My oldest went out with my father-in-law this morning and and played nine. Like I I thought, "Boy, that's that's a nice little morning for you while I'm I'm talking to do, doing the things that I have to do in the morning. I'm thinking that's that's a win. I feel like you've won today, son. Did, did he hustle him like he hustled you? No, I did, I think no, did not did not go as swimmingly. It sounded like they had a ball. It was cool to see him doing it, but um uh no, I don't he did not uh no, my father-in-law is pretty formidable, so that's it's not too shocking that it would that would not go that way whereas I am not. Um, but I, I think maybe we struggled a little bit more than we did last uh, last Sunday when when he when he beat me down. Um, so that that was his. Yeah, it's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous out here. I will say. So I was um, occupied this morning as I am with my other occupation, and I'm in the middle of a segment, Gibe, and I'm talking about whatever the topic was at the time. It was not was it intended to be, and I literally was stopped in my tracks as Tiger Woods, after he hit his tee shot on 18 crossed the Swilkin Bridge, and then started walking up 18, I stopped. I, I, I was lost. I was at a loss for words describing it um, because of all of the things that were kind of happening, the 150th Open, uh, Jack being an honorary citizen of St. Andrews, maybe Tiger's last Open. Did you – now, he said post-round that it wouldn't be, but he also acknowledged that it would probably be the last time we could go into it with maybe even in this instance the false hope of competing in it. Um did you even consider that this would be his last open until when? You know what? I, I just have it in my head that the tiger is going to will himself to play the majors. What that looks like. Yeah. I, I think is to be determined. Um, but I definitely, I, I stopped what I was doing. I, I was in the car. I had I had the uh, I had Sirius on, and, and, which by the way, if you're driving around this weekend and you want the play-by-play, all Scottish accents, oh, English yeah. accents, calling the ma- like it's all anybody across the pond. There is no American that's part of the broadcast. That's great, and it and it's on Sirius. So, you know, I w- I was monitoring the Tiger, and and you could tell, you know, when. He was on seven, and I think he hit seven over, and I was just like, it's going to be too much. This is not – this is it. This is going to be uh, the end of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I got into the office. I got set up, and I, I turned it on on the TV, and it was just – it was pretty awesome to watch the, the final three holes and a little emotional. I mean, he's it's a guy that has changed – sports not just golf he has made a mark and we don't know when or if he will get back to the form that even close to the form that he was at when he won 
the Masters in 2019. I mean, he'll never get back to that. Uh, I think that was clear. I mean, I, when I saw him, every, it's funny, on Monday when everyone was all excited about him driving 18, um, and when I saw I think we talked about it on Monday's show or Tuesday's show, that when I saw his swing, I, there's no way. There was just no way that he was going to be able to do it. I mean, he's just way too – he swings like I swing, like a stiff old man, you know? Like he didn't – he wasn't limber. He had absolutely no lower body rotation or explosion out of that. And so it was just something where you just you just knew that it wasn't going to be the case. And he double bogeyed his first hole, and that was kind of – that kind of was a, the, the beginning of the end of it. Um, but the, there, I was with you. I, I found not only – I found myself a little emotional watching it. You know, because you think of there's something about that place, and Z has played it. Obviously, I have not, you've not, but just from the standpoint of 150 years of history, he's won there twice. Like Jack, him, all of it. He told the story afterwards as he was walking up 18 that you know uh, Rory McIlroy kind of like tipped his hat to him, and I bet that got him too. You know, so it had all those things. You mentioned the eight years, so here's one caveat to that. When Jack Nicholas uh, played in in 2000, the RNA and said that I that he was done. The RNA moved the Open up to St Andrews for 2005, so they only had it five years out. So they could do that again for Tiger, to where they could have it one more time while he's in his relative prime. Like they only have, I think, the next two or three are lined up in terms of host cities. They could put it back at St Andrews in in five years. And he could play it again and maybe one more time try to give it a go competitively. Um, but by and large, it's probably it. There, he was not stopping. I didn't know if he would stop or not, but he was not having it. No, no. And, and a, a little bit of a part of me was crushed when he missed that birdie putt. Oh, I know. And it's on 18. I just yeah. was like that. Like someone said it on the broadcast. I just want him to make it and give me a little fist. Give me the tiger fist yep. pump. Yeah, and, it, it, and when it he missed it, I was like, oh, of all the holes that you didn't want yeah. to do that on. Yeah, it was a shorty, too. Just yeah. a little guy. <laughs> it was. I've been yeah. there. Yeah. I, I think we all have. Yeah. Um, it, it just it, – it was pretty – yeah, because you don't know what's next for him. Mm-mm. I mean, he's yeah. not – I think we would all be surprised if he played in another event this year. Yeah, he, he'll shut it down. You'll see him next year at the Masters. That'll be the next time you see him. They yeah, had a hopefully. graphic up. Yeah, they had a graphic up about um, yeah physically if he's able. I'm guessing that would be the next time you see him uh, playing like competitively. He um, they had a here's Roy for Eagle. Oh, boy, I just missed it. He can't. <laughs> he's gonna get a tap in birdie, but he's not not making up enough ground. It feels like everybody wants him to win, and maybe that the weight of that. He's in the mix. He's five back, but it feels like there's so much movement that can happen today, and and he's not taking probably full enough advantage, you know, of that. Uh, Cam Smith and Cam Young are tearing it up. Cam Smith's been unbelievable today. Absolutely yeah. unbelievable. He's throwing darts. So Now, I, I, I will say this. I had no idea. You know, you know that it's an old course and it's close together, mm-hmm. but I had no idea that 1 and 18 were basically the same. Yeah, and share a fairway, in, right? In watching the, yeah, in watching this, like, there are numerous holes – where people have to wait because someone going the other direction has hit into your fairway. Right. 
Yeah, it's hard to wrap our head around because we just don't have golf courses laid out like this over here, you know, where they no. do that. We don't have that true link style uh, golf course where where you share fairways and all of those type of things or tee boxes share greens and, you know, kind of all of the things that come with that. They had a graphic up of, of Tiger and Jack with like the major count and Tiger had got to 14 by age 32. So when he won at Torrey at 32, he was well ahead of Jack's pace, well ahead of Jack's pace. Um, and it felt like he would, you know, God, he could get to 20 majors at that time, 22 majors. Who knew? Um, and then the fact that he went from, from 32 to 43 without winning one is a pretty remarkable thing. I mean, that's the personal stuff, the injuries, all of those things happened during that time. Um, and Jack won five from 38 to 46. So that's the, that's the diff that's the, or 35 to 46. So that's the hole in the resume is that in that 11 year period, Jack Nicholas won five. And during an 11 year period, Tiger won one. And that was that's the difference, and that's how he's you know Jack is not going to be caught, and no one's going to catch Jack. If Tiger ain't catching Jack, no one's catching Jack. Yeah, and no one anytime soon. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and with this live money and all this stuff, like there's just there's no. What is your motivation to continue to be great? Like it feels like Rory is a guy who, as a kid, you know, identified as like I'm going to go chase greatness. And it even came so quickly for him. I mean, he won four in a two-year period. He hasn't won one since 2014. And if he doesn't win one this year, it's another whole year that goes by without a major for a guy that most people from a talent standpoint would say is the most talented guy on the tour, right? But for whatever reason, it's going to be eight years for him between majors. Uh, in his prime, mind you. It, it, it is fascinating to see because – he had some comments I know that were pretty controversial earlier in the year, you know, from a golf standpoint. But he was like, like, I have a kid. Like, yeah. I, I'm enjoying fatherhood and, and right. being married. And, you know, it, I, I like I love playing golf. Uh, it has provided me a ton of opportunities. But it, it's almost like he said, it's not the end all be all if I don't win. But I feel like there's a little something more on this one. Yeah, I think he wants this one pretty badly. 150th open I mean I, I feel like the, his role in all of this like he was one of the guys photographed with Tiger and Jack and all of that like he knows the history of the game I think the cap tip to Tiger I mean this is one that that he would just absolutely love to win and 150th open all of the he feels the appropriate winner but he's going to have some work to do to be able to do it a nice shot here on the par three um, he, as we're uh, he's now on 11 so he's, he's within I don't know 10 feet for birdie on 11 so he could I mean if he can get to double together. figures I'm with you. I think he's got to get no, to 11. No, it's a battle. But Yeah, I think he needs to be to 10 or 11 in order. And he should birdie 18. That should be a gimme, the way the conditions are. So I think if he's, you know, if he's 10, 10 under par, 11 under par, a couple shots back of, of Cam Smith, he's got a chance. If you're out there wondering, is there anything else going on in the sports world, the short answer is no, there's not. There's nothing going on in the NFL. Nothing. Correct. It's interesting. Like last week, the NFL was on vacation. Um, you guys were, were on vacation. We were on vacation on this show. But there was still some stuff news-wise around the league that would, would come out. I mean, there would you'd get something. I mean, my God, we traded Baker Mayfield last week while the NFL was off. Uh, this week, there's nothing. There's just nothing there from a league standpoint. There's not news. There's not business. There's not transactions. There's not contracts. There's not trade. Nothing. It's just kind of a wait and see. And it does feel like in the league, Gibby, that we're at a point now where everyone just everyone's waiting on Watson. No, nobody more so than us. But then the next thing is just everyone's just trying to get to camp, which is in you know, a little more than 10 days you start to get into that. But that's kind of the next thing, and everyone's kind of resigned to that's the next thing we're going to all pay attention to on the calendar because it's 
it's silent, and it has been all week. There's been nothing all week. And I wonder, because we'll start getting some guys trickling in next week. I believe the yeah. rookies have to be back. I think quarterbacks start coming back. There, I mean, there, there were players in the building this week. So, yeah, Deshaun was here uh, this week. I, I think we'll start getting a few more this week, uh, this coming week. But I still wonder if the league is going to be, uh, you know, shut down for another seven days. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I mean, it could be a situation where, where next week is similar to this. This week was actually quieter than last week when the league was actually on vacation. But you, you go around the league, I mean, there's nothing going on. There's Daniel Snyder with the subpoena stuff where he's trying to avoid the subpoenas by staying out of the country and not being served, which is just incredible that he's going to stay on a boat, just stay out of the country so he can't get served a subpoena. That's what's happening. Again, at some point, you've got to go, maybe he shouldn't be an owner. Well, yeah, I just think everyone's terrified of the precedent of that. Agreed. Yeah, clearly. Um, the big difference is if he t- he's agreed to, te- to testify via uh, the teleconference, but he will not do the subpoena. The, the difference there in, in my, uh, again, not an, not an attorney, nor do I go to private school, nor do I say a Holiday Inn Express, but the difference apparently being that if he does it via teleconference, he doesn't have to answer everything. And if he, if he answers the subpoena and does so in front of Congress, then he does theoretically have to answer every question. Or, or risk perjuring himself. So that's the difference in the two uh, with, with the Daniel Snyder thing. So that's kind of it. There's nothing really out there uh, from an NFL standpoint. Um, one other thing I, you were watching this morning, I was curious if you saw this at the Open. So there's a cutaway. Uh, it's a handsome gentleman. He's in black aviator sunglasses, gold-rimmed. He's got a – there's a, a type of jacket that's made over there called barber. Like you'll see uh, – you know, James Bond will wear this in the rain. Yeah. So there's that type of jacket. He's in one of those, except it's like a vest, one of those, the, a vest version of one of those. And Gibby, I kid you not, the man had a golden eagle on his arm. I did not, not a see toy. this. You didn't see this. The dude had a legit golden eagle on his arm. Like he was, I don't know, he was some sort of falconer or falcony. I don't know what the, what do you call those people? But he was like that, except it was an eagle. And I thought, for, I saw it. Quickly, and I said, "Well, that's impossible. That can't actually, that can't actually be that. I mean, there's there's just no way that that can actually be an eagle. I mean, it has to be a hawk or a falcon." So I rewound it, and I thought, "No, that's. I know the difference. That's that's an eagle. That's definitely an eagle on his arm." And so I did some. I thought, first of all, I thought, "Well, is there a more formidable thing that you could like just be standing with? Like if you and I were attending the Open Championship, and we walk up to a guy on the ropes." And he's standing there with an eagle, an actual eagle on his arm. It's a bit of an attention getter. It's right up there with the guy that was dressed as a in a tiger onesie yesterday, as Tiger Woods walked. It's the opposite by. end of that. The opposite end of that. Yes. It'd be like if you had an actual tiger, like on a leash. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. Who, There's who no predator for an eagle. Like they're apex predators. Like he essentially has a. It's a. It's the wildlife equivalent of a b2 bomber over on his arm i mean that's what he had he was just in the gallery he was just in the gallery just hanging out with an eagle and i thought geez that's i mean i you know how i feel about the birds that would terrify me to death there's no way i can handle that very well um i i would keep a very large distance would be the way that i would handle that uh there's about a million questions what becomes unnerved but you know these animals are well trained typically so come to find out the reason that the eagle was there was very purposeful. So St. Andrews has the eagles on site 
to keep the seagulls away. So they send them out. On, I mean, you watch Maverick. Yeah. Like F-18 Hornets. Seeking There's out. a no-fly zone. That's right. We will not have seagulls around here. And here's Mr. Golden that you got to answer to if you think you're going to, Mr. Seagull. Really? Yeah. And they, the there. Eagles just come back. Yeah, they're obviously trained to be able to do it. I mean, you, we, you can do that. I think I've told you this before. There was a real sports story probably a decade ago. By the way, like the budget for a real sports story, you know, the only place where you can be in like Tibet and the English countryside for one 15-minute piece, and it's all paid. I don't understand their, the budget of that show at all. It feels like there doesn't have one. Um, another birdie for Rory here on ten, on 11, rather. That's, so he's now he at nine. That. We needed that. So in this story, they showed how eagles in England, they use them as hunters, and there was an image of an eagle taking out a, uh, a deer. Like it took out a full-grown deer. So, yeah, they're quite formidable, and apparently you can't train them. You've seen them at sporting events where they think, by the way, who's asking the eagle if it wants to fly around while the anthem's playing? Anyone running it by him? Yeah. No, no thank you. No. I don't want to be in the gallery standing next to the guy with the eagle. God, no. When that thing spreads no. the wings and goes. No. You're not stopping it, man. You're no. not stopping that thing. No. Now, Wednesday night in the, uh, in the old golf league. Yeah. Um, the gr- group that was two in front of us was like, Hey, FYI on the seventh hole there, there's a mama Falcon. And I said, excuse me. That's right. And they're like, be careful. Um, you'll hear her squawking at you. And I'm like, well, how, how big Bo, I'm telling you this Falcon was probably 20 yards away Oof. and it looked it looked like one of the biggest birds I've ever seen. <laughs> and it started squawking at us as we were rolling up on, on the green, on the tee box. Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe we don't need to take a drive. Like I'm, yeah. I'm one of us had to stand in the back of the tee box, like basically with a club, just in case this thing decided to come at us. That's right. Yeah. They will do that. So they, there's probably an, an, an egg nearby. Eggs are nearby Correct. and we're being protective. Yeah. They will come at you. They she, will absolutely she was just come squawking the whole time, and yeah. I was like, "I don't. Th- let's hit the drive and let's go." Yeah, you everybody's like, "Let's watching. take pictures." I said, "Let's no. not die." Let's not, because here's the deal: it can fly. You're not going to corral it. Correct. There's none of that that's happening. This thing was so. huge. Yeah. Well, so an eagle's like four times that size. Yeah. That's what you're dealing with, and it's on this guy's arm at St. Andrews. My goodness. Yeah. God bless. That's him. that's insane. Yeah, to keep the seagulls away. There we go. Right. I want to see that battle go on. <laughs> I don't think it ends well for the seagulls. My guess is no. you're a seagull, you get wind of that, and you tell the other guys, like, listen, fellas, this ain't us. We, we, let's yeah. go down the road a little bit here before we can, uh, if we're going to try and land on beaches. Do, uh, so naturally, do, they use them, do they use them just for the open, or is it daily? I don't know. It could be all the time. I wonder if Z ever noticed him. I don't you know, know. If he had to deal with him at any point. I mean, they're a pest. Seagulls are pests. So, I mean, I could see how they would be like, look, get a couple of these guys around and just keep the seagulls away. Sign yeah. in well for the gull. No. No. Absolutely not. 
All right, we'll get you uh, keep you updated on the open as things goes along. Have a little football fun along the way. Coming up next, uh, you remember this from a year ago. I do remember this from a year ago. Uh, Jeff Kerr of CBS did the top ten N- uh, NFL quarterback coaching duos for 2020, 2022 rather. Uh, we were on the list last year. Where did we rank this year? Bit of a tease for the kids. Our training camp preview centers on the offensive line. We hit that today as well. Have a little fun along the way. We're off and running on a Friday edition. Cleveland Browns Daily E50 ESPN Cleveland. <laughs> On 850 and the Bath Authority can give you that bathroom of your dreams. Why not transform your current bathroom into a custom bath? It'll feel like a spa, guys. It'll do it for you in about a day. Let the Bath Authority make it a reality for you at a fraction of the cost of the competitors. The Bath Authority is our area's premier bath and shower remodeler. They are expert factory trained installers. You give a call right now for 500 bucks off your next custom bath or shower remodel. That number is 216-220-8399 or go to thebathauthority.com. It's where affordability meets quality. The largest selection of bath projects all made in the United States. Change your bathroom from outdated to outstanding again in about a day. Superior products, expert installers at thebathauthority.com at 216 216- 220-8399. 500 bucks off your next custom bath or shower model. Tell them that Bo sent you. We do have a little bit of news from the NFL. Give it. You were passing this along to me on the uh, the Houston Texans portion of the Deshaun Watson. Uh, some of the some of the uh, civil cases or claims against Watson. Yeah, this is coming from Amy Dash, uh, the the official legal insider for Odyssey Sports, CBS Sports Radio, Fox Sports Radio. Um, the Houston Texans have settled claims with 30 Deshaun Watson accusers. Um, there's some quotes here from uh, Tony Busby. Yeah. Um, Amy Dash is saying that this means there could be as many as six more suits possibly coming against Deshaun Watson. Um. I don't know. She says the evidence against the Houston Texans was strong enough to likely make it to trial. So yeah, Jenny Brent is with, with this too. The New York Times. She has this. Uh, she has a story too here in the last couple of minutes. So that is, um, boy, I don't. Who knows? It, the, according to Brentis, the settlement does not appear to affect the four remaining lawsuits against Watson. Um, so that that part is still out there. Uh, that identifies of the additional six women. Uh, settling with the Texans are unknown. Um, and these, you know, in some instances, these might not be, you know, related in terms of, of people saying, you know, coming at the Texans versus people coming at Watson. So it's, it's kind of two different things that are happening there. Uh, again, and I don't know what this has to do with Robinson either. I don't know what Robinson, you know, how yeah. well Robinson would view this or if she would or if she's, you know, who knows? Nobody knows anything on that, man. You just don't have a, have a clue. Uh, of, of how this thing would be is going to be handled. But that is certainly noteworthy uh, coming out of Houston today. Um, all right, Gibby, time for we're do a little higher lower here on a Friday, my friend. Yeah, but uh, maybe not necessarily with all the bells and whistles, but it, it, it is compliments of our friend Jeff Kerr at CBSSports.com. It is his annual quarterback coach duo rankings. Um. The qualifications for this list, new head coaches and quarterbacks on new teams do not qualify. 
Oh, there you go. So Russell Wilson, Nathaniel Hackett fall into this category. Um, the Pittsburgh situation does not. Uh, even Tom Brady and Todd Bowles is not eligible. And we're not. I would think that we are not. Yes. No, because we right. have the new quarterback, new coach. So we're not, we're yeah. not eligible either. Because last qualification. year we were – Last year wasn't Baker. We were like in like seven or eight or something. Baker and Stefanski. I th- I think so. In today's example right. of life, life comes at you fast. Yeah, a little bit. Ninth. We were ninth a year ago. New qualification for twenty twenty two called the Jimmy G Kyle Shanahan rule. Garoppolo still on the Forty ers roster, even though the team has moved on unofficially. <laughs> They've named Trey Lance the starting QB. Uh, let's see. As a result, Garoppolo and Shanahan won't qualify because Garoppolo would have likely been traded by now. Uh, Play calling, not play calling, neither helps nor hurts. Longevity isn't everything, and championships help. So just for some perspective, like last year on the list, they had Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, four. Correct. That that is not how that ended up. So not only did we not end up nine, because we were nine on this list with Baker and and Coach Stefanski, uh, and number four, it was he had Wilson and Pete Carroll at number four. Yeah, he had Big Ben and Tomlin at number eight, Tannehill and Vrabel at seven. Um, he had the Ravens duo Lamar and Harbaugh at five, Josh Allen and Shaw McDermott from Buffalo sixth. Um, Ten was Jimmy G and Shanahan. So, uh, I guess we could, we'll just go down the list here at yep. number ten. He's got Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. I think this is very wrong because Cliff Kingsbury is not a good coach. But okay, well, I, I think don't know he, what so duos a, you can put in. Right. Here's the problem. He's got too many qualifiers on this because he doesn't want to do anything that he doesn't have data on. So that's what makes this very difficult because there's been so much change either at quarterback or coach in the league. So Kyler, for sure, would be a top 10 quarterback. Uh, it's, he'd be a top 10 quarterback even among – I'd be right on the edge of the – even if you – took out the qualifications, you know, he would be right on the edge of that. So the question becomes how much we, I think we all know that the quarterback is much more important than the coach, but the question is how much more important is the quarterback than the coach? How much can Kyler Murray make up for Cliff Kingsbury? That's really what you're looking at here because, and some of the other ones are this way too. Like, I mean, he's got Vrabel on this list with Tannehill, but like Mike really doesn't have a whole lot to do with offense, right? He's got, he's got Prescott and McCarthy at eight, and then he's got Herbert and Staley. Like, Herbert is well better than this, but the question becomes Staley from the standpoint of the way that he operates, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that, – I guess that's what – would you put Herbert and Staley ahead of Prescott and McCarthy? I think I would simply because yeah. Mike McCarthy's bringing that <clears throat> franchise down. I would absolutely have them ahead of, of McCarthy and Prescott. I would have Herbert and Stanley probably higher. But, again, this is why – like, Nathan loves – Z loves these guys. He loves the Chargers this year, really likes his team. And I understand why you would. But I also think you do have to acknowledge that last year they went 9-8 and eight as a duo. With all of that firepower, they went 9-8. and eight. And that part can't be ignored. Including the final week of the season, just laying a complete and total egg. Yeah, right. In week 17. Um, so Prescott and McCarthy were eight. 
Tannehill and Vrabel seven. That's too high. I think they should be ten. I was going to say right now they would be number ten for me. Yeah, yeah, they'd be down on this list. Lamar and Harbaugh at six. I think Lamar is probably Lamar the the Ravens in general. Lamar specifically, like it's probably the biggest question mark team that we have, right? In terms of can they bring? It's been a minute now since they were sensational. He's still the most dangerous weapon in the league. They're the, one of the more competent organizations. Uh, but at the same time, it's been a minute. Like, that's that that part's true, too. So you kind of need to see it with them, I think. Yeah, I I need to see. I mean, are, are they better than the Arizona duo? Yes, I'd like to think so. Probably they're not better than Dallas, Herbert, I don't think. You know, but maybe they're, maybe they're seventh or eighth and not as high as number six. Uh, number five, Burrow and Zach Taylor. So initially I thought this has to be higher. I mean, they went to the Super Bowl, you know, it feels like it has to be higher. But then when you see like who's above them, it just speaks to how much talent there is at the position right now in the league. It's just the league is so loaded at quarterback right now, young quarterbacks in their prime that it's hard for me to move them ahead of the four guys they have ahead of them. Yeah. And I mean, Zach Taylor is sixteen thirty two and one in three seasons. Sure, he deserves credit because he, you know, they ended up going to a Super Bowl. They were ten and seven and got hot at the right time and ended up going to the to the big dance. But um, I'll be interested to see now that there are expectations. Yeah, I think the other thing with them is what is the, the, it, it appears everybody I talked to down there that Joe Burrow really trusts really trusts Zach. So. With that being the case, it feels like the and, – and by the way, they don't love firing people down there, right? They're not no. big on that. You can keep jobs no, for a long time. No, yeah. So, Zach Taylor's got a chance to be there. I mean, it's very likely that Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow will be, you know, kind of the Weish, you know, Esaias and except better, you know, that, that those guys were in Cincinnati when, when those guys were all there. I mean, they're, they're going to be together for a long time. They're, they're locked at the hip. In fact, of all of these guys on this list, to me, they're as locked as anybody because of what I just mentioned on those guys being together. All the rest of these guys, there's, you know, there's an age problem one way or another, whether it's in Green Bay or Kansas City. Uh, there's uncertainty like in Dallas. Like, I don't know how much they're going to put up with Mike McCarthy there. Um, but it's really in terms of the best overall situations in the league, and I would put us on this list too, it's Alan McDermott. It's Taylor Burrow. Um, I need to see a little bit more from Brandon Staley. I do, before I put him in that group. I would but agree I think with those that. those are the three that are, to me, have elevated. Yeah, so Alan McDermott from the Bills were number four. Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur were number three. Uh, Matt Stafford and Sean McVay were number two. And number one, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. It's interesting on the um, the uh, Stafford stuff. It almost went like people still like aren't ready to give him like the credit that that he deserves. Like they still aren't. I've had, I've talked to people around the league in the last couple of weeks doing various things, and uh, you, you still almost get that. Well, you know, he's got to prove it. I'm like I don't know. He went to Tampa Bay and won. Like he went there and won in the postseason. Like seemed to me like you win a Super Bowl, then that's it, right? I don't know what what more do you have to prove. I I agree. Uh, I I don't know if I would have the Rams duo that high, but again, maybe I'm just selling Stafford short 
Well, I mean, I, I know mean, how good McVeigh is. McVeigh's now yeah. been to two Super Bowls. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's something there. So Stafford last year was he was he it's forty eight eighty six it's sixty eight percent passing, uh, it's forty one touchdowns seventeen picks. They really don't didn't have a running game all year because Acres went out early, didn't have a consistent running game. They ran receivers through there. They had Cup, uh, but other than that, they it was kind of a musical chairs as they they brand brought guys in and out of there. Whether it would be Beckham, uh, Woods went down with a big injury. I mean, they had a lot of injuries outside of Cup. There was a lot of uncertainty with that offense, and and he lifted it. He lifted it. I tend to agree with you. Like, I wouldn't have him over Allen and McDermott, but I also think that a little bit of respect is probably due, and I think what Kerr's probably doing here is maybe going a little too far, but at the same time, usually people go – they usually undersell Stafford, you know? And I think, you know, as good as Aaron Rodgers is, neither one of them can win a playoff game. Well, (laughs) they can't win one at home. No, I mean, they they had the NFC Championship at at home two years ago. They lost at home to San Francisco this year in just a gross game. Like, you fight for home field advantage. At some point, you got to win that, right? you got to win those games. That's part of the deal. Especially when you have home field advantage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right, coming up next, we will go uh, do a little deep dive on our offensive line as our breakdowns continue getting you set for camp. That is coming up next. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. If a car, truck, or motorcycle accident caused you injury, call the injury lawyers at 1-800-ELK-OHIO for a free case review. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of your Cleveland Browns. As we continue our training camp positional preview, we focus today on the offensive line. Here's Z. This group under the tutelage of offensive line coach Bill Callahan, arguably the best offensive line coach in our great league's history, and assistant offensive line coach Scott Peters is poised to be a strength of the Browns once again. Continuity and depth, those are the two themes. Only one starter from last year is not back this year, and you've got guys behind your starters who have started games in the NFL. So it's a great combination for Bill Callahan, a great combination for Kevin Stefanski, because as we know, you need a lot of bodies at that position. Position. The Browns not only have a lot of talent and depth, they have elite talent in the offensive line. And we'll start with Jedrick Wills, the Browns' first-round pick in 2020. Battled through some injuries a year ago, but is healthy and has had a great start to his offseason. Next to him is the great Joel Batonio, the longest-tenured Brown. Signed a big extension, and of course he deserves it. He'll be with the Browns for a long, long time. Why? Because all he does is go out there and dominate week in and week out, year in and year out. Last year, first-team All-Pro, went to the Pro Bowl. Of course he went to the Pro Bowl. He's gone there four straight years. He's either been second team or first team All-Pro. Four straight seasons. And last year was Pro Football Focus's number one graded guard for the year. And heck, when he had to kick out to left tackle a couple of games, he was a top three graded left tackle in the NFL. A very special player. Now, in the middle of the Browns' offensive line, that's where the one changes. Nick Harris, the team's fifth-round pick a couple of years ago, he moves into the starting lineup. And he's gotten a lot of work already this offseason, but he used to get a lot of work in the past seasons as well. J.C. Treader would not always participate in some of the offseason program due to injuries with his knee, and that guy was as tough as nails, believe me, and he will be missed. But Nick Harris is ready, and we got a taste of that against the Green Bay Packers last year on Christmas Day. 42 pass-blocking snaps in that game. 
Zero pressures allowed by Nick Harris. And I can tell you he has been here all offseason working on his body, getting stronger, getting faster to take on this role. And I think the coaches are very excited, and so am I for Nick Harris to get this opportunity. To his right, Wyatt Teller, another big-time guard. Another guy under contract with the Browns for a long, long time, and that is a very, very good thing. Teller, second team All-Pro for the second straight year last year. He made the Pro Bowl for the first time in 2021, and he's been a top five guard at Pro Football Focus in each of the last two seasons. Rounding out the Browns starting offensive line, we hope to have Jack Conklin back. I can tell you his rehab is going very well here, but we have not yet seen him practice with the Browns, and hopefully we'll get a chance to see that prior to week number one in Carolina. But Conklin, in his last full season in 2020, he was the all-pro right tackle in the National Football League. So he is elite. He's been an all-first-team all-pro twice now in his young career, and it'll be great to get him back. So that's your starters. Wills, Batonio, Harris, Teller, and Conklin, as good as any unit in the NFL. Now let's go to the backup. So we'll start outside. Chris Hubbard is back with the Cleveland Browns, and now he's battled injuries. Missed all of 2021 with an injury, but this is a guy who has started 48 games in his NFL career, over five positions. He brings valuable veteran knowledge and know-how. Not only that, he started for the Browns, guard, tackle. He's done it all. And then you've got James Hudson, last year's fourth-round pick out of Cincinnati, thrust into action early. He's got a full offseason now under his belt. He will be the other swing tackle for the Cleveland Browns. And Hudson last year played pretty well at times. Now, he appeared in six games at left tackle and right tackle, four starts on the season. But let's go to week 18. That was his best game. He graded 90 that week and didn't allow a single pressure for the first time all season. In the interior of the offensive line, great depth as well. Ethan Posick was signed by the Browns this offseason, a former second-round pick of the Seattle Seahawks back in 2017. Posick has appeared in 57 career games with 40 starts, mostly at center, but also has started some at guard. And then there's Blake Hance. Remember him? The guy who started at tackle last year for the Browns. He started at guard. He's working at center and guard right now in this offseason, but he appeared in 14 games last year, seven starts at both left tackle and right tackle. And then there's Michael Dunn, who started for the Browns last year as well at left guard and also had to fill in, remember, for Joel Batonio in the 2020 playoff win over the Pittsburgh Steelers and did a great job against Cam Hayward. So we're already 10 deep, and it's pretty darn good for the Cleveland Browns. Guys who can play on the outside, guys who can play on the inside, veterans, people who have started. Every single one of our top five backups have started in the NFL. Two of them have started 30 games or more. Rounding out the offensive line room. It's going to be a tough competition to make this roster, but here are some of the names to pay attention to. You've got Dawson Deaton, the Browns' seventh-round pick out of Texas Tech. He was a three-year starter there, two-time second-team All-Big 12. Then there's Drew Forbes. The Browns' sixth-round pick back in 2019. We haven't seen him since 2019. He opted out for COVID in 2020, missed all of 2021 with the season, but a big, strong guy. Then there's Yelda Froholt, the fourth-round pick of the New England Patriots back in 2019, was on the Browns roster and practice squad in 2021, has some experience now in our system, and he's a guy that the coaches I know like very, very much. You also have guard David Moore, an undrafted free agent out of Grambling State. Center Brock Hoffman, an undrafted free agent from Virginia Tech. So that's kind of the interior backups. On the outside, the tackle position, the big 6'8", Alex Taylor, who spent 2021 on the Browns practice squad and appeared on the active roster for a game but did not get any snaps in that one. He's been in the program for a couple of years. He's also on the practice squad in 2020. As I said, he is 6'8". 
eight, played hoops and football at South Carolina State, and the Browns trying to turn him into a big-time tackle here. He is joined by Elijah Nikansa, an undrafted free agent out of Toledo who's been around the league on practice squad since 2018, spending time with Tennessee, Seattle, Houston, Indy, the Jets, and the Browns. He's appeared in one career game. And then finally, Ben Petrula, an undrafted free agent this year out of Boston College. So this is a room with a lot of names in it. I think the top five is as good as any top five in the league. The top 10 is as good as any top 10 in the league. So a lot of depth and a lot of talent, as we said, for Bill Callahan. Yeah, there certainly is. Great job out of Z there on the roster breakdowns. Rian Anthony Poisal will join us, our staff writer here, uh, to break down this offensive line. I, I agree with Z, but I also think that there are, you know, some pretty big question marks here uh, on this offensive line. And it, 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 let's start in the middle with Nick Harris, who, when we saw him last year, we all remember the game against Green Bay and remember what he's capable of. Uh, but at the same time, this is now a different thing. J.C. Treader had been this anchor in the middle of the line that you could tether everything else to, and we were so superior in the interior with J.C., Joel, and Wyatt. If there is an opportunity for success, you cannot find a better opportunity than the one Nick has, Anthony. But at the same time, yeah. he's got to go do it, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the middle there, like you said, is certainly kind of the biggest question that's with this offensive line right now. Um, but I think you got to feel you know, a little good about what Nick Harris brings to the table, even though his experience is limited, right? I mean, you just said the one start last year, and then I think he had one other start his rookie year. Um, but it was as good of a start as you could have asked for last year against Green Bay, as you know, Z said uh, on the segment there, just no pressure. Um, and I think he, if I remember right, he got like a 70 grade from pro football focus, which is not bad for somebody who um, was like Nick Harris's, uh, you know, skill level and experience level there. So um, I think the one thing that's important with Nick Harris as well, too, Bo, is that, um, you know, he, he might not have gotten in-game experience, but he definitely got uh, like a lot of practice reps. And I mean like a lot of practice reps because yeah. J.C. Treader wasn't somebody that was taking every practice rep, right? I mean, you saw him on the injury report every single week, not because he necessarily was at risk of not playing, but it's just whenever he you know had an injury or just throughout the course of the season he knew he had to take care of his body and that meant that Nick Harris was going to be the guy that was you know taking those first team reps and um, doing a, a chunk of the on-field work during practices so um, the practice experience is all definitely there and I think now that he's stepping into the starting or could be starting uh, this year this is like the the trajectory that the Browns sort of had for him when they drafted him fifth round right he wasn't going to be somebody that was going to necessarily be replacing uh, JC Treader in the first year or two that he was there but um, they knew eventually that you know JC wasn't going to be be here now and he was the guy that's supposed to step up and so I think they've had a, a nice long-term plan for him and you know the coaches believe in him and um, we'll certainly see in training camp and you know maybe over the course of the, of the year just just how ready he is for for this kind of opportunity. It's a great point out of you and that this is kind of the plan for him all along was to wait and watch and uh, also the notion of, of how many practice reps he's seen over the last couple of years. Because it wasn't just last year with JC, it's been the last couple of years where he's, you know, there haven't been a lot of practices in there. So this is an opportunity that's been an opportunity for not only Nick Harris, but also for Bill Callahan to understand exactly what yeah. Nick Harris's strengths are. And so that is something that he knows exactly what he's getting with Nick Harris. We talked to Nick earlier this offseason. He's a he's an impossible not to like dude. He's just yeah. has so much energy. He's so excited for the opportunity. Um, and, and I think that, that he'll absolutely crush it. I, I really, it's just a matter of, he just got to go do it. It's not like right. I'd be surprised if he was, if he wasn't great. I think he's gonna be very, very good right away. And I think the idea that Batonio and Teller are next to him, to me, it's, it's, it's his, the best possible position to step into. Let's yeah, go to definitely. the no, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead, real quick, real quick. I was just going to say, I mean, it, you can't really ask to be, you know, for somebody like Nick Harris stepping into this role, you can't ask 
to be between two better offensive linemen necessarily at the guard position, right? I mean, no. the Browns might have the two, like they have two top five guards in the league, and that's definitely going to be able to help him, um, obviously during a play, uh, but even before it, you know, Joel will be able to kind of give him any pointers that he needs and Wyatt too now, now that he's been here for a while and knows the system very well. Um, it's really the best best kind of, uh, you know, environment you could be stepping into uh, when you're just starting out at center there. Yeah, it certainly is. And so then we go to the outside and you, and you yeah. talk about tackle. Let's just start with Jack and then we'll get to Jed. Let's start with Jack. Mm-hmm. What, what can you tell us about where he is? What's a timetable with the injury? It's a big injury. It happened later in the year. What do you... Where, where are we with, with Jack and his availability, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a chance that he's ready to go at the start of training camp. It wouldn't necessarily be surprising if um, they, they put a heavy limit on any kind of reps he takes or if you kind of see him on the side, you know, the field sort of in a jersey, but maybe on the practice bikes or something like that for the first few weeks. Um, but he's been here, you know, he's been working out um, over the course of the offseason and trying to, you know, get as close to 100% as he can for when he's needed here um, at the start of camp. So um, I think it this is how you know most players sort of come back uh from an injury that ends their season once training camp starts and there's this long recovery period is that even if he's kind of you know feeling good he's ready to go they're not going to just throw him in there 100 percent of the snaps right so um i think it, it might be something where maybe it takes a few weeks uh for him to sort of settle back into things and i'm sure we'll maybe get some uh, you know a better more clear update from um stefanski once once players and everybody are back in the building here um but yeah, I mean, there's definitely, uh, you know, I, still a good chance that he's ready to go come week one. Um, and I think we'll see over the course of, of training camp, based on his snap load, how ready he is to go. But, you know, they have good insurance. Like Z was saying, you know, you got Chris Hubbard and um, James Hudson, who are two guys that, um, you know, stepped in uh, Hubbard over the course of the last few years and Hubbard last year. Um, or I'm sorry, Hudson last year, you know. Yeah. Uh, once the tackle injury started to kind of pile up there. But, um, you know, they like the depth that they have there. So if, if need be, if they got to turn to one of those guys, you, whether it be, you know, in training camp or early into the season, I think, you know, they feel pretty good about who they have. The loss of Hubbard was a real one. I mean, when he's injured, it was just yeah. it's, it hurts you everywhere because he can do everything. He's such a good dude. If, if he can be healthy throughout this season and just provide that insurance, uh, it, frankly, either of the tackle positions, that's wonderful. Hudson came along late. Uh, you worried about him early, but he came along late. You saw what a full year under Bill Callahan could do mm-hmm. uh, for Hudson as the season uh, went along. Um, the, the next thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, Jedrick Wills because mm-hmm. as a rookie there was times when you said, holy cow, like this guy has a chance to be really, really special at left tackle in this league. Last year was a little bit more up and down. This is yeah. this is without question a big, big-time uh, opportunity uh, for Jedrick Wills, and I, I do think he has a lot to prove here. I do. Yeah, he definitely does, and I think one thing to remember when you kind of look at some of the up and downs last year, particularly in the beginning of the season, was you know he was fighting through a couple injuries there. Um, now, that's not to necessarily make an excuse. You know, he's on the field. He's got to perform at the level he's supposed to perform at, but um, you know, this was also just, that was just his second year um, at the left tackle position, and you know, the Browns kind of knew when they drafted him and they wanted to move him from right to left tackle that it was going to take some time, uh, you know, to do it and to be sort of that consistent every down, uh, you know, making strong block kind of blocker. Um, and so I think now that he's in his third year, like you were just saying, this is this is sort of like the 
I don't want to say prove it year. It's not that intense, but no. you know, a year where where he can definitely take that big step up and and kind of meet maybe that you know sort of Pro Bowl potential that um, they saw him when they picked him tenth overall in in twenty twenty. So um, he's another guy that's also been here. You know, he was here throughout the entirety of the spring, and um, you know has worked really closely with Bill Callahan ever since he got here. Um, so I think you know, yeah, it was an up and down year, but sometimes those are, are necessary for a player to sort of you know learn and and take an, a that next step once they're young. I mean, he's still just 23 years old, um, still definitely growing and um, both physically and just mentally with the game. So um, this is definitely a, a really big year for him. Um, but I think he's he's taken all the steps necessary to kind of show that he is he can be the guy that the Browns thought that they were getting uh, when they picked him 10th overall, which is a Pro Bowl and possibly all pro player. Yeah, it's not prove it. That's that's definitely not. Yeah, it. it's, it's right. more. What are you going to what's the trajectory? Because yeah. coming out of the first year, Anthony, there was a trajectory that felt like, wow, this guy could maybe like an all-pro left tackle. It felt like that fell off a little bit last year with the inconsistency. You mentioned the injuries. Um, but, again, it's a good point out of you. Just 23. Just 23. Right. Yeah. So there's a long way to go here for him. Yeah, definitely. And and it's it was always going to take more than just two years for him to really settle into this thing, I think, yeah. right? Like, like he's, he's looked really good at some points, which is great. Um, but, you know, the transition from going from right to left tackle is just one that is so hard. And it would have been really, really impressive if by year two he was able to just kind of master that, lock it down, and week in and week out be, you know, a super strong, consistent blocker. And I think, you know, you, when you look at the other guys that are on the offensive line, we're so used to seeing Joel Petonio making good blocks, right? And obviously Wyatt Teller had a big year last year. John, Jack Conklin has been fantastic. It's like they have really good guys on the line. And, and you know, I think we, some, some of us maybe like expected Jed to just kind of immediately rise to that same level. But like it takes time. It took time for all of them to reach that. And it's, it's, it's no different for him. All right, let's go to some of the, the, the reserves that are in the mix. Hanson Dunn, we know. Man, what a luxury to have those guys so proven in the middle. Um, it's interesting because those guys were, all, you know, kind of, I don't know, maybe not the right phrasing, is made famous, but made known in the COVID year. And then right. I think it drew Forbes, who we haven't seen in forever. And, and again, that was part of the COVID year is the reason for that. So mm -hmm. those three of guys kind of all vying, and the, I think Hanson Dunn lock in. Uh, but Forbes back in the mix is an interesting one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the competition is going to be um... – as thick as really any of the other competitions on the roster. And I think Forbes is interesting because I think, you know, back in 2019, his rookie year, uh, everybody was talking about, you know, wow, this guy can be so versatile. He can play guard, he can play tackle. And, uh, you know, he, I think he played only a few games that year or maybe appeared in a few games um, and then took off on, on, on the COVID year. And then uh, last year, I think he was injured for part of the year. So, um, so it's interesting. It would be interesting to see how he kind of, you know, was able to come back this year and how he fits in that competition. But as you mentioned with Blake Hanson, Michael Dunn as well, it, it is pretty fascinating to see where their careers are at now, considering our introduction to them was when it was, you know, kind of hitting the emergency button with uh, all the COVID stuff in 2020 towards the end of the year. And they were able to step up and play at such a high level right when this team really, really needed them to, to for the playoffs. So, um, you know, they also kind of maybe had some up and down years last year as well, but like they're also two in, uh, young players that before last year didn't really have any sort of experience besides those one or two games in 2020. So um, I, I think that's definitely a reason to believe that they can also take a step up um, this year as well. Now that they have a full, that full year under their belt and they know what it's like when they can kind of be called on, on a last, you know, almost like a last minute notice. And um, I think if you're, you know, Bill Callahan, I, you have to feel good about some of the depth that you have at these positions if, if injuries were to come up this year because of those guys. Yeah, it reminded me that the, 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 a great Baker moment. He was like getting introduced to those guys as they were playing. <laughs> you know that the COVID yeah. year. Like, wait, now you're who? You're who's blocking? You're who? 
Uh, right. It's I just mean, that was amazing. just a moment that symbolized everything yeah. that was crazy about them stepping into, you know, that kind of role just with the snap of the fingers, basically. And then yeah. just how crazy that year was. That's 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 a good snapshot there. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Um, all right. In, in terms of what are some of the things as you start to get us ready for for camp at ClevelandBrowns.com, what do we expect to see? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll keep keep rolling out with these uh, position previews. We only just started with them. Um, you know, we're talking about a little bit of the offense this week or to wrap up this week, and then um, we'll shift to the defense next week. Um, and then we also have, and this is one of the, the fun things that we kind of have on the docket is, um, you know, we're running through 10 questions for 2022. That's with me, uh, Gibe, and, uh, and, and Z. So um, it's, uh, you know, we've got a couple, like, interesting questions coming up, and, you know, it's always fun sort of writing the responses and seeing uh, – you know, if Gibbs or Z and I have any disagreements on anything or, or where, where we're sort of uh, thinking with some of the questions. So, um, yeah, that's all on the docket for the next two weeks. And then after that, I mean, it's, Go uh, time. it's you know, pedal to the metal, man. Like, you know, all, all out for training camp. And um, and then we're just going to be rolling all the way through the season. So, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things we do you know, the last couple of years when the rosters have been so good. It's like, let's just put everybody in bubble wrap and we'll see in September. Uh, training right. camp is so different around here than it was in the, you know, in, in some of the previous years, like there's so much that's known about mm -hmm. this team, you know, other than the length of the Watson suspension, we're all just, mm -hmm. everything else yeah. is known. It's just a matter of, let's just get to September healthy. Uh, great seeing you, buddy. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure, Bill. All right. That's Anthony Poisal joining us. Of course, Browns staff writer joining us here on Cleveland Browns Daily. Second hour up next of the program among the topics of conversation, a conversation with Z and Jacoby Brissett. You have that to look forward to, which is very, very nice. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Approaching the, uh, what, what would you call this? The magic hour in, in Scotland? The sun's still up, but it is, it's, it is falling. It is falling. There's still some sun uh, as they play the second round. Rory, the only one kind of in the mix, uh, still out on the course. He's through 13, I believe, Gibby, and he's three shots back. Is that right? You need a red button. No, Gibby. No Gibby. Still no Gibby. Uh-oh. I'll explain it. How about now? Now I got you. <laughs> well, there's another button here that I missed that I'd never hit before. Never have I hit just it. hit no, it there you just go. to hit it. Yeah. I'm like, wait, that worked. I'm that looking works. at my levels. I it Your looked like I had good. levels. Yeah. No. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's it's seven oh eight. Uh way too much time spent under a bush. To, that ultimately got you a free drop. So congratulations. Uh, yeah, you whined and complained. Hit it into a – I mean, it's it was brutal. I mean, it, to be fair, it was brutal. Um, yeah, but he hit it in there. Yeah, like, I'm surprised that there wasn't a penalty. I don't know that there was. It looked like – I think he was hoping for forgiveness because there was a wire over over the bush that he was in. Uh, I saw him take a drop, and then that was that was kind of the extent of it. Um, so they still have probably a couple hours. They're, they're going to be able to finish. I mean, Rory's on 14 now, and he's 10 under. He's three shots back of Cam Smith, Cam Young 11 under, then John, Dustin Johnson at nine. If it stated as it is right now, McElroy would play with Johnson tomorrow, which would be a sight. I mean, that's what we talked about yesterday. Like, if that were to come to fruition, I mean – it's the evil empire and, and the Jedis. It really would. 
<laughs> it's all it's all there for you. By the way, I did. I saw. Did you see the uh, the press conference yesterday from Phil Mickelson at uh, where where the guy just kept asking him about the live tour over and over and over? Yes. And Phil goes, Phil goes, it's enough, dude. That's enough. Like I've answered you three times. You've asked the same question three times. That's enough. Like I'm kind of with Phil on this. Like every time these guys play at one of these, do we have? Do they get to get, have to get questioned and pressed about why they're on the live tour? They're on the live tour because it's less golf for more money, and the money's guaranteed. That's why they're on it. If it really yeah. bothered them where the money was coming from, they wouldn't be on it. It obviously didn't, and so that's why they are. Like you can't just keep asking the same question over and over again, expecting a different answer. It's the same answer every stop they go to. It's going to be the same answer. And by the way, probably ninety percent of the people asking the questions, you would have taken the money too. I mean, I mean, come on. I, I think that's what we've been saying. Jeez. I, I, I understand that the, there, there's, there's a morality involved. Uh, but, I mean, it, it's still, <laughs> like, it's it, it's still out there, me. man. Yeah, and it's fair to me to ask it. Okay, ask it. But it's been asked. Like, every time they go to a new venue, to me, I don't think they have to rehash this thing over and over and over again. Um, to me, that's the part that's getting a little, it's becoming a little tiresome to be honest. So we'll yes. see. No, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, we talk about Rory and those guys on 14. There is still a group on nine. Is there really? That hasn't made the turn. Oh, I was gosh. looking at the scorecard to see where everybody was at. Wow. I, those guys, I don't think, are going to get their stuff in. That would be hard-pressed to imagine that, right? That you'd be able to finish at this point? Yeah, I, I, got, a, I got a feeling probably not, uh, not going to happen, which means – and I feel like m- most of the guys that are on eight or nine are not going to make the cut, so it's just salt in the wound. you got to come back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I mean, when would they even go? I mean, these guys – Today, Tiger was off at 4.50 a.m. Eastern, so I guess it would be 10. Well, it's 10 their time, so that's enough time. But, I mean, these rounds are taking five and a half, six hours is, is what it's taking to get around this place. Some of it is because of what you brought up earlier, how you're sharing fairways, sometimes greens. You're waiting on somebody to putt on an adjacent green that's going out, and you're coming back, and you're waiting for them Which to putt. Which is just wild to me. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's cool, though. It's really, really cool. It is awesome to see to watch it and, and see it, and it's a beautiful day, which is great. Mm-hmm. I, I hope the rest of the weekend is similar to this. I, yeah. I don't need the big adverse weather conditions. Well, I just hope it's if it is big adverse weather. I hope it's big adverse weather for everybody. What I hate is when it's garbage for two hours and then it's great for two hours, and then the guys who you know, or vice versa, and you're not all playing the sim- a similar like experience. yesterday, like yesterday. Although people scored at both times, both morning and afternoon, people scored. The morning had better, but there were a lot of guys still in the mix uh, in, in the afternoon. A couple of things from the NFL side of things. Um, this one out of Houston. The Houston Texans uh, settled claims with Deshaun Watson, thir- with 30 of Deshaun Watson's accusers. Um, this, is, this was probably the most likely outcome. Amy Dash was uh, the first to report this. Remember, this was separate. This is all separate from the Watson stuff. This is a separate uh, separate litigation uh, that, that is happening there. Uh, Amy Dash writes, the evidence against the Texans was strong enough to likely make it to trial. So that is that is where that stands on that side of thing. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, a, a little bit of news out of the AFC North. Okay. Uh, something to watch in Cincinnati 
from Josina Anderson. I'm told Bengals safety Jesse Bates, who was franchised, has you know teams have till four o'clock today to sign their franchise players to extended deals. I think there's four guys that still haven't done that. Doesn't look like any of the four are going to happen, especially Jesse Bates, the safety of the Bengals, uh, who's very, very good. Has no intentions of reporting to training camp nor playing on the franchise tag. He will not even sign his franchise tag. Two sides currently unable to come to terms on an extension on today's deadline for long-term deals for players designed uh, with the tag. And I guess it, it's, it sounds like it's uh, a – a low ball <laughs> move coming from rap sheet. The team's final offer guaranteed Bates only 4 million more than what he would get. If he eventually signs the franchise tag, big difference is the tag locks Bates in for one year while the Bengals offer locked him in for another five years. <laughs> so here's the, so we do a thing. You do a thing, thing or not a thing. I'm going to say not a thing yet. Not a thing yet. July 15, not a thing yet. I we're two say months from the season. We're too far. If you if, if we get into the middle of August, I would still say not a thing. If he could show up August 28th and be good to go, you know, I mean, I think the way that it seems to me, my perception of the way things are right now in Cincinnati is if Joe Burrow wants it, then it is so. He's a little bit like I dream a genie, you know. I mean, it's that. What, what do you want? Done. Indoor practice facility, done. Uh, we'll get a bubble up right now. I mean, they held off on a bubble down there for 30 years. And they got one this year because Burrow said it's enough. It's enough. And so Burrow wants Bates there. My hunch is they'll get it all sorted out. But there's it's not anything that's timely yet. You have plenty of time. I, I, th- I think that's the case. But I definitely think, you know, it leads into the bigger conversation, like, I, I I think the Bengals know what's coming. Like they have to pay their quarterback in two years too. Yeah, that's you know that's one where there's going to be a resetting of that market, and it's just a matter of who does it first. Uh, is it going to be uh, Burrow first, or is it going to be Herbert first? And then whichever one's first, the second one will set the market. So, right, like whoever goes first sets it, and then whoever goes second resets it. That's kind of the way I think that thing's going to go. It it will be interesting to see, you know, Burrow was having a good rookie year, but he was getting killed because he had no offensive line, and he tears the ACL. Then he comes back. Last year was year two, takes him to yeah. the Super Bowl. Year three, should be healthy, have a good offensive line. Where's the bar? You know, I mean, this is a guy, let me pull up my notes from earlier, and Jeff Kerr. I mean, he threw 34 touchdowns and 14 picks a year ago, and he was coming off of an ACL injury. Now what? Like, where you've been to the Super Bowl already? You know yeah. what? It's it's Super Bowl or bust. But where where do those numbers have to be for you to be? It's. I think he's. I think the numbers almost give me to me feel like a given. I I think with Burrow, the only thing is like can he deliver a Super Bowl to Cincinnati, you know, or is it a, you know, like the, to me, it feels like the worst case scenario is, is that the career is like Dan Marino, (laughs) you know, that feels like the worst case, but if he can stay healthy, that feels like the worst case. So then it's just a matter of, can he be more than that? Can he be, 
you know, somebody like Manning or Breeze who wins a Super Bowl in the place that drafted him. Like, although Breeze obviously wasn't drafted with the Saints, but you get the point. Um, you know, to me, that's the, the floor is really high on him, and the ceiling is just can you go win a Super Bowl? And they, have, they are so young and so dynamic offensively. The only thing that hurts them is the same thing that hurts us. The, it's just the, NF, the AFC. That's it. Yeah. I mean, everything else I, is. Yeah, I, I think those people that are shortchanging Kansas City, probably because of losing Tyreek Hill, eh, Won't not be so me. fast. Yeah, it's not going to be me shortchanging them. I think they're loaded for bear. Um, you know, geez, oh, man. I mean, you're talking about them, the Bills, Chargers, Broncos, Raiders, us, Ravens. It's a full day. It's a full day. Yeah, Indy. We, I mean, it's been the yeah. theme of the offseason. It has. The, yeah. It's the arms race in the AFC. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, it is that. And so you just want to get everybody to camp and get everybody in a good spot. Uh, we'll do a little college football coming up next on some of the some of the conversations surrounding the Buckeyes. Uh, we will get to that. And then you'll hear from Jacoby Brissett with Z uh, coming up a little bit later on as you're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Well, it is uh, approaching football season across the board. High schools reporting in a couple of weeks. Uh, the same with true uh, at the at the college and pro level as well. And so we have we're starting to get this is college watch list season. It's one of my favorite times of the year uh, where you take a look at some of these things. Gibby, what do we have today on this front? The Buckeyes, by the way, here's some breaking news. Going to be real, real good, real good. Okay. So then, so now I have questions for you. Then, yeah, if they're sure. going to be really, really, really good, good, which I agree with you, uh, I think anything less than the final four appearance is going minimum. to be very disappointing. Yeah, it's minimum requirement. I think. Um, I think this is. You know, they got big questions on defense, right? I mean, they got a brand new defensive coordinator. They were bullied by Michigan. They were bullied by Oregon. Um, but they recruited well as they always do. They they have a new coordinator in Jim Knowles who comes over from Oklahoma State. And he's got to be good right away, but that's part of the gig. Uh, but they have so much more talent than anybody that they play. Um, they open with Notre Dame, so that's going to have a ton of juice to it. Uh, but most especially, like, it's it's around the country. This is the other factor. It's kind of a down year across the country at the quarterback position. Um, the top of it is really good with Stroud and Young. But then after that, it feels like it's a lot of a, a guy a year away type things. So it's really it's a good quarterback market, but it's but it, they're not necessarily on the best teams. Like Georgia doesn't have a guy necessarily. LSU doesn't have a guy necessarily. So Clemson's guy isn't draft eligible or is draft eligible, but was really bad last year. So I think it's really Ohio. To me, it's Ohio State and it's Bama, and we'll see it for the national title. That's the way it seems to me. No, I I think we would all take that. We would all sign up for yeah. that. Uh, so the sporting news uh, out with their. Uh, preseason, All-American okay. first and second teams. Okay. Only two Buckeyes on that first team. Jackson at receiver and maybe Travion? Yes, sir. At running back. Yeah. Three I mean, on the second team. Stroud, Johnson, and Ruggles, the kicker. Okay. Yeah. But no one on defense. Well, that's it, though. They're really – I mean, so here's – all right, 
here's how this is the way that it is. So they get the, they probably get the right to. I mean, it's you're projecting with Travion Henderson. He was great as a rookie, but as a freshman, but you need you know he needs even more of that. It's not a surprise defensively, but this is why this is why Jim Knowles was brought in because on their defensive line are the number one and number two ranked defensive ends from two years ago, and JT Tuomolowau um, and uh, Jack Sawyer, who's a, who's a Columbus kid. So both those guys are there on the defensive ends. They're going into their sophomore years. It's time for them to really explode. And then Zach Harrison was the number one defensive end in the country a couple of years ago, and he's back for his senior season. So those guys need to ball out a little bit. They're not good at linebacker. They're not. It could very well be a freshman named C.J. Hicks who may end up being the starter there. Um, they do have a kid named Denzel Burke at corner, which I'm surprised he didn't make some mention on one of these lists because uh, he's really, really good. But as I'm looking at the quarterback's corners on the list, like Eli Ricks is the second-team corner at Alabama. He's a dude. Um, so that's – you know, I guess I can kind of understand that a little bit that they that they left those guys out. But uh, So they got Shroud as second-team and then Paris Johnson as second-team. Okay. Correct. Yeah, I mean it's you got to remember too. I mean it's 130 there... schools. I mean they got a kid from Central Michigan here on the second team All American offense, so you know that happens too. Is there any concern about this defense? Yeah, for sure. They're huge. Be? Yeah, because the last time we saw them against great teams, they were bullied. They were bullied yeah. by Oregon. They were bullied by Michigan. They were bullied by Utah. Now they beat Utah because they had Jackson Smith and Jigba had 300 yards receiving in the game. You know, so they were able to beat Utah despite it. Um, no, they, they were, they were pushed around by Michigan. They were pushed around by Oregon and they were pushed around by Utah. And you can't have that. You can't have that, man. Not if you're going to win a national title, not if you're going to beat Bama, you can't get pushed around because the two best players probably in college football going into the season, Bryce Young won the Heisman. He's at Bama. And then Will Anderson's probably the best player in college football. The defensive end uh, at, at Alabama, outside linebacker, he's probably the best overall player in college football, and he's at Bama. So it's like it's the same teams, man. <laughs> it'll, it'll be the exact same teams running it back uh, on this thing. So we'll, we'll see how it goes here. But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's going to be the usual suspects for sure as, as we get down to it. Going to be a fun year for the Buckeyes. And, and open against Notre Dame is pretty, pretty good. That's a good We're way going to down. The wife and I are going down. Nice. I've heard that from a lot. God bless you. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, it's, uh, I'm debating whether to take the boys or not. You know, my buddy Laurinaitis is going to be coaching for Notre Dame. I can't even imagine what's going to go through his mind uh, with that. They're honoring the O2 team in that game as well. So there's going to be a lot of emotion to that, the O2 National Championship game. So there's a lot I of I feel like you should have pushed that O2 to, to another game. I, there, yeah, you could you could throw too much into week one. Week one can speak for itself. Notre Dame speak. Good point out of you. Notre Dame speaks for itself. Week one speaks for itself. All of those things. You really it's you don't need to do the O two team. Spread on that it day. out. Yeah, I think they wanted. I think they wanted the big big stage for Tress. You know, is what I think they wanted. I think they wanted a big stage for him, and so I think. Uh, plus, it'll allow him to hug Marcus Freeman and James Laurinaitis, you know. So it doesn't help that it gets in their mind a little bit. Hey, here was your head coach. He's on the other sideline now. So, you know, maybe you get into their heads. Certainly Marcus's head a little bit leading into that one. Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Rumpke Waste Recycling, family-owned and operated. Whether you join them as a customer or as an employee, you become part of the family. Visit Rumpke.com to learn more. And now here's Z's conversation with Jacoby Brissett from back in April. Let's have a listen. 
So Jacoby, let's walk through kind of your mindset this offseason. What made this feel like the place that you wanted to continue your career? Uh, I mean, obviously, give, give you another opportunity to play in the National Football League, which is, which is a huge, uh, you know, accomplishment for anybody uh, in any stage of their career. Uh, so that that was one of the main things. And then, you know, um, you know, just the 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 unknown was 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 uh, appealing to me. So um, you know, it provided me with that opportunity uh, to you know to possibly get a chance because you never know. Uh, you know, you're always one play away. Uh, from starting and, and um, you know and that's what I wanted this off season. And and you've been with the New England Patriots, the Colts, Miami. Now here with the Browns. Were were there any ties? I was trying to think. Chad O'Shea was probably still with the Patriots when you were there, but did you really know uh, many people here? Uh, I mean, yeah, Chad. Chad was there when I was in New England, and then uh, Andy Anthony Walker was with me. Uh, sure, yeah, was with me. Uh, but uh, other than that, I don't really think it was many other other uh, connections uh, that I had on the team. And you and Awok are pretty tight, if I'm not mistaken. You flew yeah, up together. Nah, nah, we're, we're, yeah, we're really, we're really good friends. <laughs> yeah, he is a fine man and somebody certain we've enjoyed getting to know over the past year and then glad that he's back for this year as well. Before we get into the football and all of that, I just wanted to talk to you about what did it mean to you to be the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee for the Colts in 2020? Uh, you know, it was awesome. Uh, you know, it's definitely one of the highlights of my career uh, is, is being acknowledged by my team as as one of the guys at the forefront of uh, of our community. Obviously, it was so many other guys that were uh, worthy of that that nomination uh, to be in that uh, category and being being to those conversa- conversations. Uh, when it comes to that that prestigious award, is is always a great accomplishment. Uh, something that I always cherish. Uh, something that I actually, I mean, I just, I live by that to always pour into the community and, and, and be there, um, you know, as a support, uh, support for, for, you know, in any community, whether it's back home or the, the city that I'm in, hopefully leave it, um, you know, with a lasting impact, um, you know, when, I, when I'm away from it. Uh, and, and I'll hopefully have, you know, those, I'll build those relationships with the communities that, you know, that, um, you know, whenever I'm back there or whenever I go home, uh, you know, that, you know that I'm never too far out of reach from the from from the communities. How did that get instilled in you? How did that become something that was so central to your fabric? Uh, uh, I think it was something that uh, you know I, I, I kind of craved when I was a kid. Um, you know, and being being from where I'm from, uh, you know, the people that gave back to, to the community that I was in, um, you know, I would say help you know mold me and help give me opportunities to to help put me in a position that I am today to to be able to to reciprocate that and um you know i know how important those things were and i know how important those things are and especially in the community that i grew up in is is having having um you know to, uh, a resource to be an outlet to those to the to the kids and to the community to be a source of light uh you know and, and i know how much of an impact that played on me uh so i was something that you know my mom always instilled in us and then and honestly the community instilled in us is you know, we always gave the people that left, always tried to, uh, you know, come back and give back to the community. That's awesome. And I'm sure you're aware Denzel Ward, who just signed a big extension, the cornerback that you no longer have to worry about on the field, which is good. He doesn't have to worry about you either. You guys can deal that uh, with that in training camp was our Walter Payton Man of the Year yep, uh, nominee in 2021. And it's a big thing. And in the sense that I've gotten from being around, you know, this organization for 10 years, like that's one of the few non quote unquote performance awards that carries a lot of weight in a locker room. Definitely. Definitely. And I, and I think that, you know, when, when um, 
player when you when you see the 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 amount of players in the locker room that I wouldn't say guys are competing for that award, but the amount of guys that actually give back to the to communities and, and and take pride into you know giving back and going into those communities and and and, and spending their time and their their resources with, with the with the community. Um, you see how important those things are, and whether you're a nomination or a nominee or the winner, you know it doesn't change. I don't think that really changes the mindset of the guys that you know they they'll do it without the accolades. Absolutely, and you've come to an organization where that is something that is very, very important here, right from the top on down, from the Haslam's on down. So I think you'll fit in very well that way. You're going to fit in very well on the field also. I was looking at your numbers, two years of starter in Indy, 31 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. That's a great touchdown-interception ratio. Another 500 yards rushing. You threw 11, uh, had 11 touchdowns on the ground. What from those kind of two seasons where you got, that was kind of your most extensive starting duty, what did you kind of learn about yourself as a player and to be able to put up those kind of efficient numbers that the coaches love right when you're throwing 31 touchdowns only 13 picks over two seasons they love that you're taking care of the football uh you know and it's it's uh you know just taking advantage of opportunities uh and and uh always putting the team first and 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 those and those things but always staying ready uh you know in, in both those situations obviously um uh, i mean everybody likes to say thrust into those situations but obviously um you know, being able to just come in and be prepared and, and, and understand, uh, you know, uh, who I am as a player, who I am as a person, and always being ready and being and, and being a guy that, you know, that whenever my number's called, like the coaches can count on me and know that, you know, that, um, you know, that the, the organization, the team, the offense, the, the, the game is, is, is no different when I'm there than, than the guy that they originally wanted. Uh, but, also hold my, myself to a standard that you know I don't look at myself as a quote unquote backup. I, I, I can't stand that word personally, but um, you know I feel like I'm a quarterback in this league. And when I when I, whenever the opportunity presents itself where I'm playing, I think I am considered the starter. So I, I just hold that uh, with me and in, in my preparation and, and how I carry myself because you never know when those situations occur. You no, know, you certainly do never know when those situations occur, and I would imagine one of the ones that kind of just jumped right at you, you go back to your rookie year, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was a Thursday night game against the, the Texans that you made yeah, your first yeah. start, yeah, and that one kind of came out of nowhere, right? And all yeah, of a sudden you're I mean, starting, and that was unbelievable. You guys go on and you win that one 27 to nothing. Yeah, no, I definitely, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy got hurt in the, the game before, uh, and I finished the game off against the Dolphins, I want to say, and then yeah, um, you know, started that next week Thursday night, and then I, I ended up having to start the next game. So this league happened so fast, uh, you know, and I, I I realized that at a young age, which was, which I think was very beneficial to me um, because I understood that, and I and I carried that with me is because you never know um, when that play is going to happen or when when your time is going to be called. So you know, always to be ready, uh, and um, you know I think that suited me well for my career. So I know you're around Tom Brady for a brief period of time, your first year in the league. He's regarded as one of the best, you know, quarterback sneakers in the league. Did he ever divulge any secrets? And the reason I ask is because, you know, watching the way that you were used at times in Miami, you were kind of almost like a, a short yardage weapon for them in this offense at times. And so was that something that you would, did you pick up some tricks of the trade there? You're a big guy, 6'4", 230, but you're incredible in these short yardage situations. Uh, I def, you know, you definitely learn, uh, you know, it was just pretty cool to learn his, like, uh, his techniques and, and his mindset were, uh, behind, 
Uh, but it ultimately it just comes down to, you know, wanting to get the yard and then doing everything you can. Um, I like to say that it's uh, all my work, but obviously I'm not the one pushing the pile. And <laughs> those guys do that up front. But, uh, but yeah. I mean, it's cool, though. I mean, it, it, it's – by the way, it's a when you know it's third and one, fourth and one, and you're guarant- you're gonna get the yard. That's a great weapon to have at, at a coach's disposal, at a player's disposal, and something. I think it's cool the way that you embrace that at times. You know, in your career, saying, "Look, I, I can help this team win, even if it's you know you're ready, you're a starter, absolutely, you prepare like a starter. You've shown that you can be a starter in this league and play at a high level, but that you can do something that maybe other people just can't do at the level you can, and it allows you to help your football team win." And definitely, and, and that's that's like my mindset at any at any point in my career, whatever the situation is. You know, I'm always going to do whatever it takes for the team to win. Uh, I put the team before myself, obviously, in in every situation, and and you know those those opportunities presented themselves where 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 the team needed me to do that. And uh, you know, it's uh, you know I definitely didn't take it lightly, and I and I try to do those at the best of my ability. You're a Super Bowl champ. You've been around it. You've seen it. You know the way that it needs to be. We're there for one of the great Super Bowls, really, in NFL history with that comeback against the Falcons. When you look at this team and you look at some of the talent that's been amassed here, what is, if there is anything, is that kind of secret and great? It's the NFL, everybody's good, right? Every team yeah. is good, has, has good to great players. What's kind of that secret ingredient? And I know you're, you're chasing that quest to get back there again, but it's a nice way to start off the career, by the way. What is kind of that thing that you kind of gleaned from your time in, your, in the NFL about what's that little, that secret sauce, that it, that extra that allows teams to, to have that success? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't consider it, it, it a secret. I think, uh, the thing is to, to be consistent and be there every day, uh, and work hard. Uh, and I think that's, that's really what it is. Uh, and I think that's what I've learned, uh, throughout that year being in New England. It was just like, you know, the thing that, that the team did was the same things every day and, and didn't take those things for, for granted. Um, and I think every year is totally different. Every team is totally different. Uh, and I think right now we're building those those good habits, those those things that we can lean on, uh, those, our fundamentals, our technique, our foundation of, of the offense, of the team, of the defense, of the special team. I think that's what we build right now. And, um, you know, I think when, when, when everybody comes together and we believe and we trust in those things and that we all know that we're on the same page, I think that's what builds, you know, championship teams. I think it's obviously too early to tell, to tell sure. anything because we haven't played a game, but um, – I think those are the things that you lean on. It's just like, hey, we're right now, what is our objective and our goal and being able to attack that because we ultimately know that our 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 final goal is to, is to be a champion. Initial impressions of Kevin Stefanski. You've had an opportunity to be around, obviously, different head coaches. Bill Belichick, regarded by many as the greatest of all time. What are your kind of initial init- uh, impressions of, of Coach Stefanski? Uh, I mean, you can obviously tell that he's a uh, you know he's going to be the same guy every day. You know, he's been the same guy since yeah. I met him when I came on my uh, – when I came up here and, and talking to him and then uh, being around the last couple of days in the building, uh, he's been the same guy every day. He's talking to players and uh, other coaches and other people on the staff. You know, everybody always says he's the same guy every day, which as a player, that's one of the things that you want the most is a guy to be the same guy, whether you're winning or losing or you're up or down, because, you know, uh, you know that's somebody that's going to be the, the, the consistent, uh, you know, steer of the ship, you know, as the head coach, you know, that that's a, uh, uh, when you know where you stand with the head coach, that that trickles down, and um, you know sure. he obviously um, has has had very.
very uh very much success uh in his career as a head coach so um you know i'm excited to be around him and, and learn from him what's it like for a veteran like yourself to be able to come to an organization where you've got you know your head coach is was a play caller obviously that's why one of the reasons he got the job what he did in minnesota was able to come in was the coach of the year two years ago you've got you know the venerable bill callahan who's been a play caller and a head coach in his own right chad o'shea was a play caller in miami uh you've got alex van pelt who's been a play caller in cincinnati and has worked with, obviously with as a green bay coach uh quarterback coach there with aaron Rodgers for a while to have so many guys and then in your room drew petzing who has worked his way up kind of very much like Kevin Stefanski, get an opportunity to come into the quarterback room for the first time with you guys. What do you, what's kind of your thoughts on the staff like that that works so well together but has such an, a, a vast background of experience actually doing it at the highest level this league has to offer? I think that's, I think that's when you watch film, you just see how, how, how collaborative – you can tell how collaborative the group is. You yeah. know, everybody, um, you know, has uh, – you know, input into the game plans and, and you can see that the, the, you know, the versatility of the offense and, and, and being able to call different plays at different times. And, you know, obviously I had experience with, with uh, O'Shea and Chad and being on the same, same wavelength for him as well. And, you know, I remember coming in here talking to him uh, my first week here and he was just like, you know, we, we like, you know, input, we like collaborate, collaborating and, you know, having all, all that experience from, other players, other coaches, um, you know, calling plays and then them trusting the players to, to give a, give them ideas. Um, you know, you can understand why, you know, this offense has been one of the best offenses in the league the last couple of years. Is, is that cool as a player? And is that unique? Is that unique to have that kind of collaboration and want that much input from players? Uh, definitely, because, uh, because you know, obviously uh, in this league, you know, a lot of coaches, you know, are, you know, what they know is what they know. Uh, and it's hard to – to, to change and 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 uh, and that's 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 good and bad at the same time which um you know being able to to collaborate with not only more more coaches that have that have called plays and been in been the play caller but players who are actually in the game um and having you know the guy that's caught that's doing the plays uh has some some say so is pretty cool pretty unique uh so i'm excited to see how that'll be uh and, and um you know i'm sure to sure to turn out well because you know, obviously Deshaun has history playing, Josh has history playing, and, you know, myself, sure. obviously. So it'll be pretty cool. You just mentioned your quarterback room, and in your press conference earlier today, you brought something up unprompted that I thought was, was to use your words, pretty cool. And you said, it's my first time being in an all-black quarterback room. It's pretty cool. I'm not sure if it's the first. It might be the first in, in league history. I'm not sure about that. We need wow. to get an intern yeah. on this program to figure that out. But it, it, it is a pretty powerful Thing. And I, I'm not, I don't know if you guys have discussed it, but the fact that you brought it up unprompted means it made an impact on you, clearly. What, is that, what did that feel like? What, what do you hope to accomplish with you know, that group? And, and what is, I think, a historic situation? Yeah, like I said, the press, I mean, it's very unique. It's very cool. Uh, you know, not, not too many chances uh, you get something like that, you know, where you know, whereas black quarterbacks are just not, I want to say just starting, but, you know, over the, over the last, you know, 10, 12 years or, or getting, you know, the respect that we can actually do this position. And, and then now you get a room with, you know, where it's all black, all black guys as quarterbacks uh, in there. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know, we haven't, you know, went in depth about, um, you know, the, the impact that that is uh, of having a group like that. Sure. Uh, which I'm sure we will soon. We just have been, you know, all over the place for the last couple of days. I'm sure when we sit down and just start, like, 
really talking about, you know, things that that'll come up. Um, you know, it's very unique. It's, it's like I said, it's very cool. Uh, you know, and, and the thing that accomplishes, you know, just to, to, to show, you know, that, you know, we all are very capable of handling, handling this position. We all are smart enough. We all can, can play at a, a very high level. Um, and, and we aren't here by chance, you know, we all, we all worked for, for this position and, and, you know, all are, are very worthy to be in the room, uh, and to, to hold the weight of, of an organization. And, um, uh, you know, I'm excited to, to, to show that. You can certainly hear and see why this organization is so confident. If it is Jacoby Brissett to start the year for a certain amount of time, why they are so confident in him. Impressive, impressive guy. So much more to come. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Well, we're getting closer now. Give a couple of weeks out, middle of July. In fact, July 15th is summer just flying by. Um, but before you know it, we're going to be here in camp, my friend. One more week of relatively little activity, and then it'll really ramp up uh, towards the end of that last week of July. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. I know you are off on Monday. You're on assignment, I should say. On I'm Monday. on assignment Monday. Enjoy, yes, so enjoy your assignment. trek. Enjoy your travels. Yeah, I will, my friend. And uh, it's going to we'll be, be a nice to... weekend, I think. Sunday should eh, be. maybe a little chance, but it's not going to be 95 degrees. No, no. And quite frankly, we could use the rain a little bit. So I would be fine if we get a little bit of it. You have a good weekend as well, my friend. We'll visit with you guys next week. The next level is coming up next. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN, 850 WKNR.